Last week was a really bad week for us. New York Times op-ed columnist Michelle Goldberg wrote on Sunday about what she called this very dark time when the news from Washington often makes her sick with despair. We feel the same way, so we called Tom Frank. He's good at explaining things. He's founder of The Baffler, former columnist for The Wall Street Journal and Harper's, and a regular contributor now to The Guardian. He's written many books, and he's got a new one out now. It's called Rendezvous with Oblivion, Reports from a Sinking Society. Tom Frank, welcome back. I'm glad to be here, John. Well, there was a time when Democrats controlled the White House and both houses of Congress. That was 2009 and 2010, eight years ago. How did we get from there to here so quickly? Your book, oh my God. Your oh my God. book Rendezvous with Oblivion, deals... <laughs> Precisely with that question, why did millions of ordinary Americans support Donald Trump? You know, one answer is they were driven to madness by the presence of a black man in the White House. You don't agree that this is the most important explanation. Why not? Yeah, that's right. Because, I mean, there certainly are plenty of people who hated Barack Obama. And, I mean, I remember with a sort of feeling of shock the first time I encountered one of them. Yeah, those people those people definitely exist, and they were definitely loud during the 2016 election. And you had since then, you've had a kind of a great awakening of, you know, racism in this country, you know, the, like the march in Charlottesville and stuff like that. Yeah. But I think that that is the, the people who really swung this election, in my in my view, and, you know, this is something you could argue about all day and all night, but are those counties that the sort of uh, white working class voters in those upper Midwestern states, a lot of those counties, and a lot of these are people who, who voted for Obama the first time around and the second time around. And you can track this change. Um, and if that change had not, and, and also let's add into that, a lot of black working class people who voted for Obama and who were not enthusiastic about Hillary Clinton. And between those two groups, uh, that's basically the story of what happened in 2016, or I should say that's a story of what happened in 2016. Well, that's certainly where we can look to find the the swing votes. The, the, yeah, and, you know. oh, and by the way, I, I mean, I can, I can go on and on about this for a long time, but I didn't even realize that Donald Trump was going to be the nominee until it was almost over. And then I started, you know, I started reading up on him, and everything I read said, you know, this guy is running this one-note racist campaign. And, uh, then I, so I was like, huh, that's that's weird. And I went and watched a whole bunch of videos on YouTube. I binge watched a whole bunch of Trump, <laughs> you know, these videos of his of his uh, his rallies. And I was surprised that in addition to the bigotry, which is you know loud, as I said before, his his bigotry, which is open and is disgusting. Uh, he also talked about a lot of uh, subjects that were very familiar to me, uh, deindustrialization and, and trade deals. And when he talked about the trade deals, it's as though the guy was lifting his script from like AFL-CIO talking points. It was, it was bizarre. And he has stuck with that theme up until um, quite recently here. I mean, he talks about it, about trade and about deindustrialization all the time. This is one of the things that really sunk uh, Hillary Clinton was Trump's 
the way he talked about trade and about deindustrialization. This was really the Achilles heel of the Democrats. So, so okay, you're a pundit, so we have to ask you, what's going to happen now that he's imposing tariffs? Are the steel and aluminum tariffs on Canada and Mexico going to reopen that carrier plant in Indianapolis? What will the Trump supporters say when the EU imposes $3 billion in tariffs on American bourbon, American jeans, and American motorcycles. What will they say in Iowa when China taxes the import of pork and soybeans? Uh, I know. It's, the guy doesn't know what he's doing. He's absolutely incompetent. Being able to say, you know, saying that NAFTA uh, was designed to deindustrialize places and to, and to weaken to, to weaken the bargaining power of workers is a true statement. To then do what Donald Trump is doing, I mean, it's almost unrelated. It has nothing to do with it. A, a better example. So China is a currency manipulator. This is like well-established. People have written about this at great length. It's, it's, it's well-known. that When he talked about that, yes, that is, that is true. When he talked about that on the campaign trail. So what do you do, John, with a currency manipulator? Well, you, you know, you can take them to the WTO and, and, you know, uh, uh, demand some kind of, of, of redress, right? You can, uh, demand that from them directly. And you can say, if we don't get that, then we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And if we don't, you know, and eventually you might wind up slapping tariffs on this, that, and the other. Well, Trump skipped all those steps. <laughs> it just went straight to the tariffs. And it's not even clear what his demands are on the Chinese. The whole thing is, the whole thing is completely half-baked. He doesn't know what he's doing. That, by the way, that was always clear from the beginning, even when I, when I wrote that story about him back in, uh, in 2016, that he, he was very good at expressing people's anger about the trade issue, but it was never clear that he understood trade at all. This could get bad. I mean, him and his stupid trade wars. Uh, on the plus side, it hasn't gotten bad yet. And, and uh, you know, it seems unlikely to me that Donald Trump would really do something that would injure his billionaire friends, you know, which this has the potential to do. So one of the things you've been saying now for a couple of years uh, is there, despite all his bluster, lies, incompetence, despite everything obnoxious and horrible about him, there is, quote, something real about Trump. And one of those things, as you put it, is that for millions of Americans, there still has not been a recovery from the recession that brought Obama into office. Uh, and the responsibility for that does indeed lie on the Democrats and indeed on Obama himself. That's one of the themes of your book that the Democrats could have done a lot to bring about recovery from that recession and that, that they failed to do so and that that's really the background to Trump. That's Yes, that is exactly right. And that's you put that very well. And I think about this all the time. You know, you read that quote from Michelle Goldberg, by the way, whose columns in the New York Times I really enjoy. I think she's great. But I have that same feeling when I think about the Obama years, that, that sort of feeling of... of you know, I, I just I get so angry about it because when he came into office in 2009, and he was the hero, and he was so eloquent, and he had the he had the country behind him, and he had both houses of Congress, and he had the meanest man, the meanest, cleverest man in American politics, Rahm Emanuel, at his side. This is a guy that should have been unstoppable, uh, Barack Obama. He should have been able to get whatever he wanted. 
And he should have been, I mean, he came into office at a time of deep crisis, uh, you know, the financial crisis. We're heading into a deep recession. He should have been the Franklin Roosevelt of our time. Yeah. That's what I thought he was going to be. Yeah. And that's what I, uh, you know, he could have had with a little, you know, a little kind of Lyndon Johnson political hardball, could have got whatever he wanted uh, through Congress, but he frittered that away. And the frustration to me is that now we are back with this. It's like it's like it never happened. We're back with the culture wars. You know, Trump picking fights about the flag. Trump picking fights with the NFL. You know, Trump naming Supreme Court judges. We're right back to where we started. A Republican is back in, and he is. You know, and it's it, it, we had this fantastic opportunity. You know, Roosevelt in the 30s managed the crisis so well and did so well by Americans that the Democrats had a majority in, in uh, the House of Representatives from, from then until the 1990s, you know, for 60 years with, with, with two brief interruptions. Uh, you know, that's the power of that kind of good government. And Obama had that in his hands, and it slipped through his fingers. And I just... It, it, it makes me so furious, not furious. It makes me, I don't know what, I don't know what I can say about it. It's, it's, there, there's something so depressing that now we're just back where we started, you know, and that Republican governance was not permanently discredited by the crash of 08, which it should have been, uh, you know, George W. Bush should still be in infamy. Instead, we regard him as, as a good guy nowadays. Yeah. You know, we wish he was back. So, so, it is just like it drives me crazy. But exactly the way what you said is exactly is exactly true. That people were still desperate eight years after the financial crisis, or however many years, and desperate enough to elect this charlatan into the White House in 2016. And by the way, de- still desperate. I mean, look at what's going on out there in America. Nation columnist Gary Young went back to Muncie, Indiana, a year after Trump was elected. He had spent the election season there, and he asked Trump supporters what they thought now. Most of them said they didn't really much like Trump as a person. They wouldn't want their kids to grow up to be like Trump. They wouldn't even really want to have a beer with Trump, but they still hoped he might do something that would help them with their problems, and they didn't think that Hillary would have. Yeah, that's, I think that's almost exactly right. That certainly uh, dovetails with everything that I've read uh, about the election. Uh, Trump was the most unpopular presidential candidate of all time, and Hillary was the second most unpopular. In 2016, as the Trump election was approaching, you published that book called Listen Liberal, you warned about everything that we have talked about, everything the Democrats were doing wrong and needed to change. Tom, did the liberals listen? They didn't listen then, John. They're not listening now. And as far as I can tell, there is no, there is no listening program on the horizon. John, there wasn't even a postmortem after this election. I don't think they even intend to, uh, after 2016, I don't even think they intend to... Um, you know, there's a real problem with the Democratic Party. These are people who are uh, out of touch. Uh, they, a lot of their leadership is very elderly. Um, they are determined to not yield. They don't understand what is happening in America. And now remember something, the populist wave of 2016 wasn't just in the Republican Party. It was in the Democratic Party as well. Yes. 
you know, the Bernie Sanders movement, and they they managed to uh, the Republicans were not able to stop Trump, but the Democrats were able to stop Bernie Sanders, and you'd think they would, you know, after the debacle that enfolded them that year, you'd think they would look back at that moment and say, you know, maybe that was a mistake. Maybe we should have played it differently. Uh, maybe we should be more open to this kind of politics, but they're not. And every indication is that that Bernie Sanders style uh, populism is still rolling in this country. Those people are still mad. Tom Frank, his new book is Rendezvous with Oblivion, Reports from a Sinking Society. Thank you, Tom. John, it is my pleasure. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.